there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of I've Got Questions, a wonderful pre-modern podcast. As always, my name is William Hurst, and we are back for another episode on this beautiful spring day. And today we have an esteemed guest, one of the princes of pre-modern, one of the best players I've had a chance to play with and the recent winner of the that would be the, would that be the May March monthly I can never remember which one we're on but we have Flint Espel with us today Flint how you doing I suppose I'd probably be doing uh much better if Mano had never coined that Princess of Pre-Modern thing <laughs> I mean you know when you get a nickname it sticks it's sort of like me and my basic lands you do it enough and it just sticks and it'll never go away no matter what you do fair enough well it's it's nice to be here thank you so much for the invitation uh, it's it's a pleasure to talk to you so as stated before the winner of our most recent monthly um and before we jump into a deck that i'm excited to talk about for those who are not familiar with flint can you give us a as brief or as long-winded an answer of kind of history and magic and how you found pre-modern as you'd like to give uh, sure. Um, I know I've talked about this before on, on another pre-modern podcast, uh, but it's been a while. Um, and so, you know, I, I, um, my magic days go back to the nineties. Um, I started playing magic, um, right before fifth edition dropped, um, and played, you know, pretty, pretty much kitchen table magic for a long time. Um, and then, the guy who eventually opened up the first local gaming store in my hometown um, started running an arena league. And so I played arena league, you know, when stronghold was out and uh, it was like Tempest stronghold Exodus season, basically into Urza's uh, saga and Urza's legacy. And then partly into Urza's destiny. And then I um, took a little bit of a break from the game and um, came back in right around the time invasion was released and played standard and limited through the invasion block uh, all the way through judgment and then took a little break and then came back in right around um, when Mirrodin was released and played standard for a while and then took a break and then came back in um, right right around the time of lore when I would say and then played pretty consistently since then started playing legacy around that time as well and um uh, played some of the old extended, you know, during one of those time periods when I was actually playing. Um, never really played in any big tournaments. Um, I think I went to like one pre-PTQ or you know, whatever the whatever the tournament was. It's, it's just how like disconnected I am from like serious competitive magic. But whatever the tournament was, that if you do well, then you get a good spot or you get a certain number of buys at a Grand Prix or something, you know. But nothing, mm-hmm. nothing big. Pretty pretty uh you know small peanuts for the most part um but uh played a lot of friday night magic uh loved a brood x was always really interested in combo and what the cards could do in terms of the interactions with with one another used to you know study the um the back of inquest magazine and read pretty much every card ever printed and just lay awake at night and think about different kinds of decks i could build or card combinations if if i could afford <laughs> all the cards <laughs> um and then I found Premodern in 2018. Uh, Yul Larson had written an article for Channel Fireball where he talked about the format. He wrote two, actually. I read them both, and it really reminded me of Old Extended. In one of the like 
two tournaments that I actually played in that was kind of a, kind of a legit tournament. I mean, it's Idaho. It's not, it's not New York city. So, you know, it's not Wisconsin. So, um, you know, no offense to all my, my Idahoan brothers and sisters, but, um, uh, you know, a little less competitive scene, let's say than in some of the other areas of the country, but you know, I ran like a PT junk deck back then. And, um, I just loved that old extended format and I had played a lot of, um, casual matches back then. And so, um, got really excited about it was kind of burnt out with standard by that point and even burnt out with modern and the card design was just getting like ridiculous, you know, where the spark had dropped and, you know, I'm with Tom Matelski on this. It was just the, the games felt so swingy and that, you know, you just drew the right card and you would just win the game on the spot or completely turn the game around despite, you know, mm -hmm. what your opponent had been working towards. And it just, it just didn't sit as well with me. I would say it wasn't as fun. Power creep was a real thing. Uh, the, you know, the color wheel had just been completely destroyed. Um, mm -hmm. and so it didn't really feel like magic as, as you know, the way that I learned how to play it. And that's not, that's not a dig at people who find the game today and really love it. You know, it's more popular than ever and lots of people play it. And, um, you know, that's, that's for them and that's, that's magic as they see it, but this is a pre-modern podcast and we're going to talk about pre-modern and I love the older format. Um, and I love the way that the games play out and I love the card pool. And so I, I built a couple of decks. Uh, I think I built like actually six or seven decks, uh, in 2018 after I read, um, the articles that Yul Larson had, had, uh, written and, had nobody to play with. And so I would bring pre-modern decks to like, you know, Wednesday night modern at the channel file fireball game store or places like that. And then I would just ask people in between rounds if they wanted to play pre-modern, nobody knew who it was or knew what it was. Um, but I would get, you know, a casual match here or there and, and people seemed to have some fun with it. And I really enjoyed the games. And then I found the monthly tournaments, um, in 2019 and I, I played in my first, uh, online monthly in July of 2019 and, and, really haven't looked back since that's awesome now it it does surprise me to hear kind of the history and that's really cool to hear is because i got a chance to play against you and I've, I've i've been able to watch you and hear your thoughts across things like pss and things is i guess i did have an assumption that you were maybe more ingrained within um a higher competition level than what you described just because you are from what I observed and what others have so very technically sound and the judgment you use within games sound it. I mean, it's really cool. I just assumed that you had more of a more competitive tournament background, but that's where, where did you, before we jump in, how did you refine those skills? Was it purely tabletop? Was it just repetition and crafting within the head and just really thinking through like, how did you, how did you get to the point where you are so technically proficient at this game that we love? Uh, well, thanks for saying that. Um, I mean, obviously I know I've done well, so I'm you know, not going to try to like humble brag anything here or, or anything, <laughs> but um, I, you know, I, I did play a lot uh, growing up and I did play with some guys who were pretty good. Um, I would say okay. all things considered. Um, there were some, some kids at the the game store who, you know, went on to do really well in some of those bigger tournaments. And there's a good friend of mine, uh, two good friends of mine, Daniel and Peter. Um, I doubt they will listen to this, but I'll, I'll tag them. Uh, but you know, they, they went on, they're younger than, than I am, but they went on to, to do really, really well. And Peter and I used to play a lot. And then every time I go home to visit my family, I get Daniel and a bunch of guys together and we draft and you know, Daniel's an amazing player and he has played some pro nice. on the pro tour a little bit. And, um, so I would say I, despite kind of the, 
the grassroots upbringing. I did play with some players who have gone on to, to do well in a larger competitive space. Um, mm-hmm. And then I just, I like to read a lot and I like to, to theory craft a lot. And so, you know, Flores talked about this when he was on Mano's podcast, but, you know, I used to read Fight with Flores all the time back in the day. And I would read about all mm-hmm. the decks that he, you know, published and why he built them the way he did and sort of the reasoning behind it. And I used to read all the old articles about, you know, how to play certain cards or how to think about the game. And, um, I, I just try to put it into practice. And, um, I think it's just one of those things where I, you know, I, I, I like to say that I'm, you know, Johnny, uh, in terms of, you know, the types of decks that I like to play, but I, I do have like a, a small spike in me. I would say I do like to win and, and I can be competitive uh, about things. And so, um, you know, most of the time when I go into these matches, I'm, I'm genuinely trying to win. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, the lobster trophy in your, yeah, in your house. Yes, exactly. Um, and, um, you know, it's things, things have certainly gone well for me. Um, you know, I, mm-hmm. I have my fair share of sloppy plays and, and mistakes that I make too. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think that if anything, like doing well in the monthlies has pushed me to try to even be a better player than I used to be. Uh, it almost feels like mm-hmm. there's an expectation that I'm going to do well. And I probably just put that pressure on myself and more than anything, cause I've always done that in all of the things that I do. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I definitely feel that. And, and I try to try to play my best, um, whenever I can, cause I don't want to let other people down and I don't want to let myself down either. So, um, yeah. You know, I'm kind of happy you said that because I, so I had success also at the monthlies with kind of three in the row and a couple in the Misty tournaments, like all in the short span. And it was such a different experience for me, people reaching out uh, to talk, just even advice on decks, things I had never experienced before. And I, I can relate to that pressure you're talking about. Like, I think after that, I went two or three monthlies just up until this uh, last one, where I just didn't do very well. And I didn't do well at the last Misty event. And it, it, it did kind of feel like I was letting something down, whether that was accurate or not. So it's, I'm glad I'm not the only one who feels that, I suppose, because I was, I felt kind of alone in that feeling. So for what that's worth, um, thank you for sharing that. Sure. Um, yeah, so moving on. Obviously, for those who have not followed, uh, Flint is our reigning North American champion from last LobsterCon, playing a deck that was superb. That was um, Angry Knot, a combination of the Stifle Knot genre and Angry Hermit with Sutured Ghoul combo. Um, really awesome deck. And this month for the monthly, you were on something different. You said you loved combo, and there are some people who consider this deck a combo. So you were on Sly. Now, yes, we know typically, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I always consider Sly is a healthy roadblock in a format or a healthy litmus test. It's something that keeps a format kind of in balance, that sort of deck. Does that sound like an kind of an accurate description of what role it usually plays in a meta. It keeps other decks honest. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think it definitely keeps decks honest. And the way that we've talked about it historically is it really is the fun police of the format. And so it, it stops a lot of like the really crazy brews from, from being as successful as I think mm-hmm. they could be. And there are certainly some other um, players in the, in the meta now who I would argue are, uh, 
present enough to and powerful enough that they might be fun police as well. So it's not just sly anymore. But historically, yeah, it's it's been one of those things like you got to be to be able to beat a turn one lackey. You have to be able to beat Sly. You know, you have to kind of have answers to Sly if you're going to play in this format. Exactly. So with that description, Ted, we had this weird moment um, where Rich Shea's uh, Parfait deck, Oath Parfait, came out, which he has admittedly essentially designed it because he couldn't get Blue-White Tide to beat Sly. So that put a real hamper on it. I remember before I even really knew who Rich was, um, he was one of the first person, first people I played against online over webcam. And I, I was on Sly because that's where I won the first Missy one. That's my one true love, really, believe it or not, with all the stasis success. But I, I, I didn't know what it was, and I kept running my Sly deck into his Parfait deck before Lobster Con, and I could not win. I couldn't understand it. So we had that whammy that kind of hit Sly. And then almost directly after that, we had another deck, which was built to beat Parfait, but had this little sneaky thing of it also just didn't lose to Sly of Dreadnought. And with those two decks, Sly got, for the most, in a lot of cases, pushed out. You weren't. You'd see it played, but you weren't seeing top eights. And I would argue that if you wanted to top eight an event uh, within the last, oh, I don't know, almost since LobsterCon of last year, so maybe even close up to a year, outside of some few really good players um, like Aaron Dix and others who have picked up red, its win rate at the top of the map has been lackluster. So the the question is... How were you going to solve it? And there didn't seem to be an answer. But you, I think, have an answer to it. Um, it's something I have played and I love. So tell me how you approached Sly coming back in. Because you took... I know you're a busy guy, so you were kind of away for a couple months from the monthlies. What made you pick up Sly? And tell us why you designed it the way you did. Sure. Um so yeah, I, I definitely tell myself as a combo player and those are my favorite decks to play. Um, I also like to play control decks from time to time, but I also like to play what I would call a, like a palette cleansing deck. <laughs> and <laughs> if I've been playing like make you think too much decks, um, it's a very fancy uh, compound hyphenated word there. Um, mm -hmm. if I've been playing a bunch of combo decks and I just need to, to play in a month where I just want to sit back play a deck that I think is easier to play reasonably well, right? So, you mm -hmm. know, Sly, there's a difference between good sliders, uh, Sly players and great Sly players, certainly. But I think Sly is definitely a deck that's much easier to play. I think most people would agree with me than decks like Full English Breakfast, for example, right? You know, there's a, a yes. clear skill difference or Elves, you know, where there's, there's, a, there, there's a, a, a much higher ceiling depending on the, the skill of the player. And so Correct. Sly was always, you know, back when I was playing every single monthly um, Sly was just this really nice palate cleanser for me. And I, I, I do enjoy playing it. You know, there were times back in, you know, standard where I used to run red decks. I mean, one of my favorite red decks was this red, black demigod, a revenge deck back when Shadowmore was a thing. And it just, you just had like access to all of these fun, cool tools. You know, demigod was kind of like your ball lightning and coming into, into pre-modern, I really loved that ball lightning was a thing again. And, um, I, you know, so I enjoy picking the deck up from time to time. And, um, I think Aaron, you know, obviously if you're 
dialed into the community and you probably are if you're listening to this podcast, but everybody knows that Aaron is kind of the inveterate slide player um, in, in the, the online forum. And he, he said something that I was actually thinking and, and agree with him hundred percent. And it feels like a lot of the time Sly is a deck that's very good at making a top eight, but not winning a tournament because by the time, you know, you get to the top eight, yeah, you've, you know, beaten a lot of decks, but you, you haven't been able to weed out everything. And there are going to be decks that make the top eight that actually have pretty good matchups against Sly. And so then it gets much, much harder to win at that point. And so I think that's one of the, the things that Sly struggles with. But, but the other piece here too is it, the, the meta, as you say, and, and Parfait has been tuned to beat Sly and this mono blue dreadnought, you know, it's just so fast and has all of the free counter magic uh, and disruption that it, it can make Sly's answers, you know, even Sly who you know, has access to cards like Overload, for example, right, can really struggle mm -hmm. to kill a dreadnought um, because of all of the kind of protect the queen strategies that the mono blue version and even the blue white version really does incorporate so to me um i i am a pretty busy guy these days and i haven't played as much as i used to but i kept hearing a lot of people you know uh who you know, maybe are more tuned into the format than i am now just saying things on podcasts or in forums like well sly's dead or sly's not a good deck anymore or it's not a good time to play sly and it kind of bothered me because if you but let's take a deck like Dreadnought, for example. You know, Dreadnought now looks different than Dreadnought did in 2019 and Dreadnought in 2020 or 2021. You know, back when everyone was jamming Dreadnought into, into a deck, it had many different, you know, versions. I, I, I put Dreadnought into the Hermit deck. Uh, you know, Michael Arnold and I, I should say, did. And, you know, it, it really changed things up. And so I think to sort of pigeonhole Sly into just one version of the deck is a mistake and it's a little short-sighted in the same way you know that i might say that you know mono blue is the only version of dreadnought that matters because that's just not true you know that's one version of dreadnought and it's a version of dreadnought that's been better lately but there are all kinds of versions of dreadnought that have been good at various time points based on the other decks in the format and so in the same way that we have to expect decks like dreadnought to change based on the meta we have to expect decks like slide to change as well and so that was the point I was trying to prove, uh, you know, to myself, if no one else, um, when I built this version of Sly and it went through several iterations and I was actually pretty frustrated with it right up until I made some final changes, like pretty much the day before my first, um, match of the monthly. Um, but eventually we got there and, and I, I had something put together that, that, that actually seemed to, to work reasonably well. Absolutely. So before we go any further, we may as well talk about the deck list. So Main deck, four Seal of Fire, four Lightning Bolt, four Shock, four Fire Blast, two Curse Scroll, two Incinerate, two Reckless Abandon, two Sulfuric Vortex, or sorry, three, three Reckless Abandon? Three Reckless three Abandon reckless. and one Sulfuric Vortex. One Sulfuric Yeah, it's kind of hard sorry. to see in the deck photo, sorry. Yeah, no worries at all. Four Mog Fanatic, four Jackal Pup, four Grim Lava Mancer, two Goblin Patrol, two Ball Lightning, uh, three Barbarian Rings, the full eight of Foothills and Mire, and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine mountains. Um, and then our sideboard is two Red Blast, two Pyroblast, four Pyrokinesis, two Flaring Pain, two Meltdown, three Crash. So obviously for anyone familiar with the typical Sly archetype within Premodern, there are going to be some interesting questions about this deck things that seem unusual 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I saw it and I loved it because I, if I could play one deck from here to eternity, it would be Sly. I, I, I consider myself a, I don't know if I'm Aaron Dick's level player of Sly, but I'm like maybe a tiny rung below it if I had to be an honest person with myself. I, but I certainly too got frustrated with the parfait dreadnought double whammy. So let's talk main deck first. First thing that's probably going to pop out, well, of the many things, two ball lightning instead of four. Yeah. I've been on record with my thoughts about ball lightning, right? That I don't think it deserves a spot even in Sly. That's my opinion. Um, but tell us about how you got to two, because that is an odd number. Yeah, it's it was kind of through just the process of elimination. You know, like once I sort of knew what I wanted and what what cards kind of had to go, and then based on like what decks that I wanted to beat, what cards had to go. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting because if we rewind kind of my thought process to, to sort of how the deck developed. One of the first things that I thought when I was like, well, how am I going to beat, you know, a parfait deck was, well, parfait decks run oath. And so maybe I don't want to want to run a lot of creatures. And so how can I do a lot of damage and not run a lot of creatures? And it's tough because slide decks really rely on creatures for that recurrent damage, right? Once mm-hmm. you, once you shock someone, that card is gone, right? But a jackal pup can shock someone two, three, four, five turns in a row. Right. And so creatures, exactly are really important in slide decks. And so I was trying to figure that out and I was thinking, well, hey, you know, in the older versions of Sly, we used to run Flame Rift. You know, it's two mana, four damage to each player. A lot of people aren't running slide decks right now. And so Flame Rift, you know, the downside of Flame Rift may not be as bad. Um, not great against Dreadnought um, if you, <laughs> you know, spend your second turn doing that. And um, I ultimately decided if I want this deck to have a chance against Dreadnought decks as well, Flame Rift is just a terrible card. Um, and what's a better card than Flame Rift in terms of reach and being able to do a lot of damage for very little mana? And that's when I pivoted to Reckless Abandon. And I was like, okay, well, Reckless Abandon is a cool card because not only can I do four damage for one mana, but if I'm against an Oath deck, instead of bolting my own Jackal Pup and taking the damage, I can just sack my Jackal Pup to the Reckless Abandon and, you know, it'll get its last hurrah and, and, and hit the Parfait player. Um, and so it's a nice card to play around Oath. So I don't have to worry about things like Phantom Neshoba or Ancestors Chosen or any of that nonsense. And so that's where the deck kind of started. And then I started thinking, okay, well, with that in mind, let's take a look at all the other Reckless Abandon decks. And, you know, Mike Arnold uh, and others, but I'll, I'll single out Mike because he's been touting Reckless Abandon for a very long time. He's done well with Reckless Abandon in um, the monthlies. Um, so is Phil Taylor. Uh, and I looked at all those decks and, you know, you'll see things like Mog Flunkies and Mog Conscripts and Goblin Cadets. And, you know, there's sort of all these one, you know, one drop or two drop goblins that a lot of these decks would play. And so I put together kind of a class, classic Reckless Abandon Sly um, list. And I started playing with it, and I just hated it. Um, I don't think it's a bad deck, but for what I was trying to do, it wasn't very good. It didn't really play around Oath that well. You know, you have to play, you're going to run four Reckless Abandon. you got to run a lot of creatures. A lot of those creatures are dependent on other creatures to actually work. You know, if I have a Conscripts, but I can't cast another Goblin, 
I can't attack with it. It's a dead card, right? Or if I have a flunky is not another creature, I can't attack with it. It's a dead card. If I have a cadets and they have creatures and I can't burn those creatures out, like they've got walls, for example, it's a dead card. And so I started getting really frustrated with, with those lists. So I cut a fair number of those um, conditional goblins, let's say. I think I may have kept some flunkies in. And I remember I went to a Beasts of the Bay meetup and I was playing, I think, Steve Hines or, or, or could have been someone else. Um, he's uh, pretty big in the old school community. Shout out to Steve, really nice guy. Um, and I, I was playing him with the, the, you know, the, the modified list and I still didn't like it. I think I, it, I, I got there regardless, but I just had a lot of conditional cards that ended up being dead. And I was still having the problem of this is not where I want to be to beat a Dreadnought deck or a Parfait deck. And so I kind of went back to the drawing board and I looked at it again. And fundamentally, if you're going to play against a land tax deck, you can't play a lot of lands, right? So yep, yep. I, I noticed in a lot of matchups where I had played against land tax or watched people play against land tax and they were on a slide deck. I even, I remember when I was in New York city and I was at a meetup with Mano and Mike Flores and some others and Lanny, they were all talking about what Mano should do if he plays Sly against Rich Shea. It was a moot point because Rich actually banned Sly um, mm -hmm. in the PSS, but they were kind of talking about how you might play around it. And I, what I had realized when I watched all these matches is people would just have a lot of dead cards in their hand, you know, cards like Incinerate, which actually, you know, is in this deck or a ball lightning or, or a Vortex. They were just too much mana and the land tax player would get ahead way too quickly. And so I wanted to build a version of Sly that had a really, really, really low curve. Um, and I also wanted to build a version of Sly that can get rid of its own lands, but that'll, that'll mean a little bit more when we talk about the, the sideboard um, for games mm -hmm. two and three. And so I started, I was like, okay, well, if that's the case, I want a full uh, four seals, I want four bolts, I want four shocks. You know, I want all of those one mana burn spells essentially. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so that way, um, and, and I also want all the one drop creatures that I can get. So I want Fnatic, I want Pup, I want Lava Mancer. Um, and I probably want a little more reach than that. And, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do yet, but I knew that, you know, if, if the, the land tax player doesn't have a mox diamond if they do well great you know sometimes they do um but if they if they just have one land um and you know they have to run out of basic planes and and, and drop a land tax at that point i'm in pretty good shape you know certainly they can enlighten tutor get a zernor play that sector land and then they can tax whatever but i can this deck for the most part can function on just one land right you, you're still going to have some dead cards in your hand but you can hold that second mountain and then drop it, cast your incinerate and then fire blast, right? Like you don't, you don't have to play it right away, obviously. And so, you know, Mike Flores wrote about, you know, sort of the, the different ways that you can play a red deck, how you can be really, really blisteringly fast, but sometimes you want to you know, take a back seat and pick your moments and be more of a control player. And this deck really does kind of have a, a U-shaped distribution in terms of when, when you make the most plays and you make a lot of plays up front. And then against a control deck or against a, a prison deck, you're going to make a lot of plays later on as well. Like when you go essentially go for it to try to win. And so it's, it's kind of like it, it, it's bimodal in, in a lot of ways. Um, and so mm -hmm. initially with those one drops, I felt pretty good about the um, burn spells and the creatures. And, you know, I knew I wanted to play reckless abandon for the reasons that we've already kind of talked about both reach and getting around oath. And I, I figured I did not have enough creatures to really run a four reckless abandon. I didn't really want to have games where I got caught with multiple reckless abandons in my hand and they became dead cards because I just had other burn spells. So I, I ultimately ended with three. Um, and then with the goblin patrol, 
um, I, I had played Goblin Patrol in the very first slide list that I ran in a monthly and I, I did pretty well with it. Now, back then the monthlies were only 20, 25 players, you know, to be fair, <laughs> but I had Goblin Patrol and, and it was great because the thing is, you know, Jackal Pup is such a good card and going back to this idea that Jackal Pup is, you know, a shock on legs, you know, if you can, if in a lot of classic slide matches, if you can go turn one Jackal Pup, turn two Pup Pup you're in really good shape, right? And and folks tend to win a lot of those games, especially against slower decks, especially against control decks. And so I, I, I wanted a, you know, a, another one drop that had two power and I shied away, I ultimately shied away from conscripts because of the, the downside. And I thought about cadet, but cadet just seemed not so great for me because there's so many instances where people drop like walls of blossoms or things that I can't just outright burn away. And I really want to swing through and get some incremental damage through. And the other thing that I really liked about Goblin Patrol is if they go turn one, you know, land, I go turn one, Goblin Patrol, they go turn two oath. Well, I just don't pay the echo, right? So mm-hmm. Goblin Patrol is a creature that I can take back in, in, in some ways if, you know, the opponent plays uh, something like an Oath of Druids. And, but it still allows me for those really fast go wide kind of starts that this deck can do. And so mm-hmm. after I, I kind of had my core of my, you know, one drop burn spells and my one drop creatures, I kind of had to decide what to do with the other uh, parts, components of Sly. I knew I didn't want to do Bobble Sly because I wanted every card to really count. Um, and mm-hmm. the way that this deck worked is, is a little bit different and it's less, you know, kind of reliant on, on needing a card like Bobble, which I'm not as as pumped about as as aaron is uh, all due respect to aaron he's a great player good deck builder uh but but i've never really liked the bobble version of sly a whole lot um and so i i cut that and then um i had to decide you know do i want curse scroll right it's one to to cast but it's three to activate do i want ball lightning you know it's three and going back to this idea of having dead cards in your hand do i want vortex you know do i want to to, to beat out life gain and so i kind of just tinkered with it a little bit and then was like, you know, fuck it. I've got to, I've got to play my first match tomorrow. So I'm not going to like, <laughs> I'm not going to play test this into oblivion. I don't have time to do that. You know, I kind of made those last minute changes the day before. And so I ran, I was like, I'm just going to, you know, toe the line here and I'll run two scroll. I'll run two ball lightnings. I'll run two incinerates and I'll slap a vortex in there just so I have some sort of scary answer against life game. But hopefully this deck will just win so fast that um, I'll be able to sort of go you know go over the top of life gain and so you know Mm -hmm. looking at this deck i i don't know if this is the right version or the wrong version you know i I joked around that this could be you know garbage sly for all we know but like this is by no means like an insanely heavily play tested deck it's more about like a couple of matches seeing how the cards work together you know did i find myself getting into situations where i had a lot of dead cards in my hand or not and could i uh, in theory, beat decks like Dreadnought and and Land Tax, um, uh, Land Tax decks, and that's that's kind of how we arrived at, at at the deck. So I think the story is helpful. I, pro- I probably answered some questions that you had that were pretty specific, but that's I, I think that it's helpful to kind of understand how this crazy list got 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 built. Absolutely, and um, full disclosure on my end, I played mostly this list in the spring fling um and went uh 8-0 with it so there's stuff in here the things i changed were uh number one you were absolutely right about um uh goblin cadet i love that card it was in my initial sly list because two drop is great mm-hmm. but you are right in many cases 
walls, Mitra's factories, whatever the case, um, it gets in the way. So Goblin Patrol is the better of the two. I think you made that decision correct. Um, and then on my version, I was plus one uh, Vortex, minus one um, Reckless. Okay. Is where I was at. Cool. Um, so, yeah. No, I think I think you're right. Um, and the creatures... So I've, I've messed around with, like, just straight burn decks. And me and uh, Brian Cole were actually talking about this uh, the other day. Um... Uh, and I think Gra, you know, Grad was talking about it too. Um, it's a good idea in theory, but those creatures are so essential. Even if they hit once or even twice, it's that it's that little bit that gets you over the hump of eventually cards run in my hands. So I don't think you can really build straight straight burn well. No, um, no, I don't think you can. The, it, the creatures are your card advantage, right? Exactly, a hundred percent. As much as I wish it were true, like. I would say if I had one more spell, if I had, okay, these, if I had a wish list, I would said, please give me, I know they'll never give me chain lightning. I, I understand. Fine. <laughs> um, but give me, um, char. I would, I'd be happy with char and then give me skull crack like those. And then I think you could play straight burn. Uh, but outside of that, no. Uh, in any case, though, the sideboard, though, is where we get spicy. Um, tell us how we reached some of these numbers. Because um, we've seen cards like Pyrokinesis and Boards, but I don't think we are, we're usually seeing four. Uh, and then talk to me about Crash. Talk to me about Meltdown and kind of how we arrived there. Yeah. So, yeah, the usual suspects are there, right? You know, the Blasts. Mm -hmm. So... Obviously, if I'm I'm trying to build a deck that's going to beat a mono blue dreadnought deck or you know a stasis deck, for example, the blasts are just super 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 important, and they're one mana, which is great. So they're they're you know very consistent with sort of the the philosophy or the spirit of the deck. Um, mm -hmm. But the um, the the other you know pieces here are a lot of I would say traditional sly sideboard flex slots right you know some people will run anarchies, um, some people will run pyroclasms, so a lot of people run price of progress, um, and those are all fine cards and very good. Um, with me, I I knew I had such a low mana curve that I wanted to make sure that none of the cards in my sideboard violated the rule that I was trying for the most part not to violate with the main deck which is just having cards, you know, where the converted mana cost or mana value, as, as we call it now, I guess, is, is, is too high. Um, and so one is great and free is better. And so uh, I put the Pyrokinesis in there as a, as a free card and a way to kind of get card advantage against like Goblin's decks or Elves decks where I have to, you know, I feel like I have to do a, a little bit of disruption or they can race me. Um, you know, if you don't disrupt mm -hmm. an elves deck at all and they have the survival, things get real sketchy real fast. And before you know it, mm -hmm. they've got haste, and they got a well-wisher in play and they're just gaining so much life a turn. And uh, I, I've, I've, I, I lost a match once um, to Robert Kulari where he, he was on the play with elves and I was on Hermit and he outraced me because he got his Mastercore into play and just locked me out of the game before, <laughs> before I could, you know, I, and I think I had like a turn one hermit druid or something like insane, but he, he raced me and he beat me that game. Uh, and so I've seen elves do some, some wild things as most elves players have. Um, and so I wanted a way to 
shut that down if I had to. Um, and in these kind of quick go wide strategies like elves and goblins, I figured pyrokinesis, although it does cost me another card, would be sort of a, a decent answer to that. Um, the uh, four is probably too many. Um, I think that if I were going to make some changes to this deck, I would probably cut that down. Um, I would cut one to two pyrokinesis. Now, that being said, I didn't run against elves or goblins, and so I didn't have to see how great or terrible they would be. So you might have better mm -hmm. data on that yourself based on kind of your own experiences in the fling. But yeah, so let's uh, let's talk that real quick because I think I do. So I think the I, I had a chance to sit down with uh, Michael Hoyp when he was out at the local shop with us a couple Fridays ago, and we played uh, this matchup versus goblins. So you're right about pyrokinesis, in which I think going down a card is just detrimental. Um, it, it hurts. And also, I ran into this a couple times, is pyrokinesis almost forced you into a position where you're playing more defensively in some cases than you want to. I had at least one game, maybe two, in those series, and we played a good amount of series of having the pyrokinesis in my hand and being conservative with it. So I had a red card actually caused me to lose a match. Ah, uh, Okay. Because you're just, you're just like, do I, can I afford to chuck this at your face is a, you know, a war chief and a whatever coming down or a war chief and like a pile driver coming down and I'm just dead. So I think pyrokinesis is a little bit of a trap card. If I'm honest, um, I think Lava Dart might be better. Not necessarily in the Goblins match, though, because there's too many two-toughness ones. But if you know how to prioritize, you can save your darts for, like, their lackeys and then other burn spells. So I think my honest opinion is Pyrokinesis may be a trap card and maybe not fully needed. That's totally fair. Um, again, like I said... Not a lot of this was testing of the final version, but mm -hmm. just more theory crafting and going down that card, you know, can absolutely be detrimental. I would say, um, I have thought about changes that I would make to the deck. We could talk about those in a little bit. And Lava Dart is mm -hmm. a part of, of those considerations. Um, uh, but yeah, Pyrokinesis never really got to try it out. So it sounds like it would definitely be a, a, a potential spot in the current meta to, to make a change there in the sideboard. I think it could be. Now, that's not to say it doesn't lead to blowout games. Don't <laughs> sure. get me wrong. <laughs> when it's good, it's really good. Yes. It's just I think the way it makes your play patterns a lot of the times can hurt. But moving on, the biggest things as we've talked, as we've seen is probably, I mean, we've occasionally seen meltdowns. Um, overload is our typical artifact destruction. Mm -hmm. Crash Crash is one that caught me initially off guard. I had to look at it again because I couldn't remember what it did <laughs> and why. Uh -huh. um, so tell me about where Crash versus Overload, because I've seen Crash be awesome. And I've also actually lost because I've crashed in Sack to Land, where Overload would have been better. Gotcha. Yeah. Where? Where? How did you land on it? So... The reason why I think the mono blue dreadnought has been so great is is because of all of the free spells, right? It it runs mm -hmm. gush, it runs days, it runs foil, and then it also works on that insanely low converted mana cost, um, mana value um, mm -hmm. curve. So, 
for me, what, you know, when I'm thinking about how I'm going to, you know, kill a dreadnought, um, you know, I, I, I want to wait until, um, or not wait, I, I should say, but I, I don't want to be constrained by my own mana because the problem is, you know, you may have one, uh, you know, land, for example, and they, and, and you go to, you know, overload something and it gets dazed, right? So by having mm -hmm. a free spell, you free up your mana to do other things like pay for a daze or cast a blast, cast a red blast or a pyroblast. So against the dreadnought decks, you know, the, the dream, you know, uh, again, it, it doesn't always work out in reality, the, the way it does in, in theory would be to be able to disrupt the dreadnought strategy and have access to, you know, the counter magic that, that goes along with it. So you have access to the same blast that the blue deck has, and you also have access to the same free spells that the blue deck has. And honestly, one of the very first changes that I want, wanted to make to the sideboard after playing against blue a couple of times was to ab absolutely cut one of the pyrokinesis and add a fourth crash, because I, I do think it's that good. Um, this deck mm -hmm. doesn't have difficulty getting two or three lands into play. And the other mm -hmm. piece here is, um, it's insanely good against the tax rack strategies because what it allows you to do is it allows you to play out a creature and then crash their scroll rack or crash even better their mox diamond or their Zurin orb. And then mm -hmm. you have zero lands in play and you have a creature. And if they're not running oath, they've, you know, they're in big trouble uh, because they have to start, mm -hmm. you know, they have to find another diamond or they have to start running land, like playing lands. And then guess what? Okay, great. I get to, I get to drop another land now and cast another creature. Now I get to develop. And so, you can manipulate your land count the same way they get to with cards like Zern Orb or Undiscovered Paradise or Mox Diamond. So I really, really like, I mean, I, I beat three land tax decks um, in the monthly and Crash was just an all-star. I had this insane game where uh, my opponent um, had like a planes and cast a turn one land tax. Um, and then I went and I just dropped one land, I think, and I, and I cast a Jackal Pup. Uh, and mm -hmm. then he went and, uh, I, I think he played a wasteland and left his planes untapped. And then he, he passed it back to me and I played a second mountain and a second jackal pup. And mm -hmm. I had two crashes in my hand and my, it was in my opening hand and I passed it back to him and the end of his turn, he enlightened tutored for a Zurn orb, you know, cause he's playing out his land, right. And he's going to go get his orb mm -hmm. and he's going to sack his land. So he plays his, he casts his Zurn orb and he passes it back to me. And, um, at the end of his turn, I sack a mountain to, I sack my tapped mountain. Well, first I actually, I think first I just bolted him in, in his face. And then mm -hmm. I, after that resolved, I sacked my first mountain targeting to Zern orb. And in response, he sacked, um, both of his land. And in response, I sacked my second mountain to destroy the Zern orb. So now mm -hmm. he's just got a land tax in play. He's got no lands. He's got no Zern orb. I have no lands and I have two jackal pups in play and I kill them over the next four turns. He never drew out of it. So absolutely crash is just bonkers against land tax decks. It's so good. If you can get some pressure in play and then keep your land count wherever you need it. So they can't trigger tax. You're in such a good position against those decks. Sounds one. I mean, that sounds like my experience to um, was the, I played against one uh, tax rack deck in the fling and pretty much the same thing was able to keep under. They could never get out of it. Um, and then I also get to test against Rich a lot and was learning against Parfait. Now, Rich was beating me a, still a decent amount with Parfait, but 
I'll, I'll say this. Rich is also a very highly skilled technical player. And even when you got all the guns, it's hard to get around that sometimes because sometimes good players just do good things. Sure. Other And then also it's like, even when I'm losing a game, it's like he had one turn. He had to f- fade one or two draw steps mm-hmm. to get there, which was much, much, much different than what it used to be. It used to be one like land tax and then like go enlightened tutor, get a Zurin orb or an ivory tower. And then you're just like, well, I guess I'm just, you know, dead. Yeah. And it's, a lot harder for them to do that with against this build. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I mean, this doesn't like totally turn the matchup on its head, right? But what it does do mm-hmm. is it makes those those games much more winnable. And this deck didn't steamroll everyone that I played against, right? I mean, I won a lot mm-hmm. of games, but a lot of my matches were super, super close. And in many games, it, it came down to my opponent just making a play mistake, right? Just underestimating how much damage I could do in a single turn, right? Or going for something, pressing an advantage. You when, don't say. Yeah, pressing an advantage <laughs> like uh, when they think they have one and they really don't when they needed to play a little more conservatively. And so I, I beat, you know, a fair number of folks because of that. And and so, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, the, the, the deck isn't insanely powerful, but it definitely improves your matchups, I would say, in the current meta relative to the traditional Sly list. I think you're correct. So before we get into more a debate on is this where we stay or do we change? Let's talk about the monthly itself. Um, so you said you faced a fair number of tax decks. Um, what was your initial rounds like? Your your Swiss rounds or your uh, pod round? Yeah, and and I feel bad because historically, like when I'm playing in the monthlies, I will track some of this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Just because. Um, it's it's nice for my own kind of data just to kind of look and see what I faced and how I played, how I won or how I lost and, um, you know, to kind of tinker moving forward. But I haven't been as immersed in, in pre-modern lately and, and I have been so busy. So I didn't do a whole lot of that, but I, I played against the traditional Sly List and I, I beat a Sly List. I beat um, uh, Blue Green Survival Madness. Uh, Stanley was in my pod. You know, he's a very good Madness player. He and I I uh, had the pleasure of playing in person uh, down at the SoCal meetup, um, you know, last uh, fall. Uh, really nice guy, um, and I, I managed to beat him on Madness. Um, I played against, I want to say, one Rock deck. Um, I I also played against a Blue White Tide deck, and was able to to take that one down. Um, and then um, I think there may have been one Land Tax deck. And I'm probably misremembering. There were three land tax decks altogether, and two of them were in the um, um, the out rounds or whatever, like the after the Swiss. Mm-hmm. But um, I know I played against three, and each one was slightly different than the other. Um, but yeah, so kind of all over the place. I never ran into Mono Blue Dreadnought. Um, I did run into Stasis, as you know. So I got to test mm-hmm. it against uh, you know Mono Blue deck in in that sense. Um, but uh, yeah, it was kind of all over the place. And I never ran into goblins or elves. Gotcha. So then going through the the pod rounds, my biggest thing with the deck that I felt a little bit is it felt maybe one land too heavy. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get that feeling? I got that feeling in every non-control matchup. <laughs> so okay. every time okay. I played a control deck, 
Um, I loved the land count, but mm-hmm. um, like so when I played against you on Stasis, I loved the lands. When I played against uh, Blue White Tide, I loved the lands because what you do in those matchups is you get try to get out ahead, right? You know, mm-hmm. you play your pups, you play your patrols. Um, you know, your creatures. And then when they tap out to factor fiction or whatever, you know, you immediately hit them with burn spells or whatever you need to do. Um, Mm -hmm. But then once you get past the initial, like two or three turns, um, you have to be really careful, right? Because you can't tap out against the tide deck or they're just going to take all your lands away. Um, Mm -hmm. And you you also can't do that against um, the stasis deck because they're going to drop a stasis. Uh, mm-hmm. and so you really want to keep your mana open. So after you get your initial chip in damage, you wait, you play the waiting game, you want to hit your land drops. And what you're ultimately going to do is you're going to choke them on their own mana. So when they try mm-hmm. to go for the tide or they, you know, try to bounce the, as you know, try to bounce their stasis or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Then you say, okay, I've been saving all these blasts. I've been saving like these pyroblasts, these red blasts, these fire blasts. You know, I've been saving all of these 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 cards for this moment. And so you either try to kill their stasis, you know, in response, or you counter their tide with your red blast, and then counter their blast with your other blast, or whatever it might be. Right? If they get fully tapped mm-hmm. out, then you take your turn and you you know attack in and you reckless abandon all your creatures away and you just kill them. So there's, exactly. there's kind of this burst at the end and if you, and you do have free spells, right? You do have your fire blasts to, to help mm-hmm. with that. Um, and you've played out your seals, you know, just very casually one at a time over the course of several turns. And, you know, but, but mm-hmm. that starts to look scary once there's two or three or four seal of, you know, fire sitting in play. So you played all that out and you just, you wait for your moment to, and to go for it. And most of the time that means you wait for them to have to make a move and then you make them pay for it basically. And so Absolutely. in those instances, love it. But in any other kind of matchup, I would, <laughs> I, I would probably cut a mountain is, is what I would do. I'd probably cut one mountain from the deck um, and see how that goes at least. And, and that's almost exclusively where what I was thinking as well. Um, any of those matchups uh, that are not control, uh, definitely it felt a mountain heavy even against parfait feeling a mountain, it feels a mountain heavy. Yeah, I, I boarded um, out. I boarded out two mountains in every one of my land tax matchups. Okay. I boarded out two, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> I, I didn't go that far, but no, I definitely, I definitely get that. Um, so then, going because you had made mention, you had we had a match against Stasis, and you beat me three uh, zero, uh, and. It, what you described was exactly right is waiting for a time where I'm choking or the blue deck is choking, then going for it. And the amount of damage that can be done is very deceptive, even for slide decks. And that is because a lot of times when you're in the course of a game, if you're just sitting there and playing sometimes like it's not just burn coming out of your head. You mentioned seal of fire. That's going to be on the table. So it's something you're always looking at log fanatic. Um, fire blast, but also one thing we haven't really talked about is barbarian ring. Yeah, barbarian ring. I think almost single handedly won you at least one of our games, if not two, because of its threat. Yeah, I think because you were able to. It's a non counterable source. Um, that comes out. It's colorless, so it it's this ticking time bomb just sitting there that I had a hard time dealing with. It's like 
I, I, I think it's right. What was your experience with Barbarian Ring throughout this event? Uh, it was great. It, it's just such it's an innocuous little land that just can change games if you forget it's there or too many come out. Yeah, I, I loved it. Um, it was really good in um, most all of my matches. Um, I, I think the only time where it was less good is when I had it against a sly deck, and I was like, oh, great. Um, yep. I get to lava dart myself every time I, I try to tap this for mana. But other than that, um, it's great because it's just like a seal. You know, you play it, it sits there, and it's there when you need it, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so you, you can kind of get under counter magic in the same way you can with something like a seal, right? Um, mm -hmm. and because it's colorless, you know, it can kill things that have protection from red, which is nice. Didn't really come up for me that much. I killed one of Dimitri's, you know, silver Knights in the, in the finals, but it, it didn't end up mattering that game. Um, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a resource in that it's a mana source, right? So it's one of the 20 lands mm -hmm. that are in the deck, but it also is that extra shock or, you know, seal cleansing or whatever you need. So you have a lot of those turns where things seem uh, things seem really innocuous and then you you know sack two silk cleansings for four damage you reckless abandon for four damage you tap you know two mana and you you know fire blast for four damage then you barbarian ring them for two damage you know and it's like oh my god like where did where did all this damage come from it adds up really really quickly and so the barbarian ring was great against you for example because i could i could just run it out there for free right it's a silk cleansing or a mm -hmm. of fire that's free it, it's a little more than that i know but i i'm speaking loosely but it's free Absolutely. and it's 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 going to provide me mana to cast everything that i need to cast and if i can disrupt your turn get rid of a stasis um if i use it for mana i know i can untap with it and then activate it to actually burn you out later so it's it was really really good i knew i wanted at least three four felt too much and i you do need a critical mass of mountains um on the one hand mm -hmm. and so I think three was it felt correct in the limited number of games that I played, but I don't know how it's been for you in the uh, in the fling. Oh my god, it's been amazing! It's that little extra push that can't be dealt with um, in normal ways, especially in a meta now that is shifting towards a lot more meddling mage than we're used to seeing. It's a thing that gets rid of a meddling mage in a great way without having to burn a burn spell on it or have a burn spell trapped in your hand. Um, so no, I think it's great. I think four is too many because you will eventually run into just shooting yourself a million times with it. Yeah. Uh, so I think three is, is correct. So we, you went through the monthly one. Now let's, and it sounds like a diverse set of decks. So the deck performed, let's, and so let's kind of see, was there any unique situation within the monthly that comes to mind that really showed off something unique about this build I mean, or something that really stood out to you? There are just a couple of like interesting pieces slash pointers that I would give. So like, I mean, there was one match where I did 17 damage in a single turn, um, mm -hmm. which is pretty insane. This, this isn't a Draco Blast deck, but 17 damage in a single <laughs> turn is quite a bit. Um, the other thing I've already kind of mentioned it, but just pick your battles and, and wait. Like if you're just drawing and playing out lands against a control deck, odds are that your grip of seven is going to be much more mana efficient than the counter magic players. So just you know, mm -hmm. be patient and then wait for your, your opening. And then um, against madness, Stanley and I were talking about this a lot after the game, but against madness, I would do things like instead of leading with a lava mancer, I would hold him back and I would wait until mm -hmm. he used his disruption to kill like my other creatures. 
and then I would run out a lava yep. mancer because it's probably your best card against madness. Um, so if you're if you ever run up against you know, all the card advantage that survival madness gets, um, lava mancer is a really nice way to to fight that battle, and he's definitely the MVP in that matchup. So um, pay mm-hmm. pay close attention to that. I would say. Um, and then other than that, um, you know, meltdown. I know it's been in, been played in other decks, but I mean, being able to to sweep um, the board of someone who's got a mox diamond in play and an ivory tower and a zurin orb and or a scroll rack right with three mana is just insane. And so um, it didn't come up as as much as crash, but it was good when I had it. I think I played it uh, once against you to take out your zurin orb. I don't even think I killed your black vice. I think I just killed your your zurin orb because I didn't want to put two mana yep. into it. Um, yeah, yeah, that was that was my one. As I thought back on our games, I made mistake that game i think i might have won that game if i just decided you know maybe i'm just gonna sack like i don't know four of my five million land uh-huh. i had out because yeah, that was fun but no yeah exactly but, um but meltdown i would just say like is actually quite good because most of the time you're casting it for zero it's coming in in those matchups where either mm-hmm. the player has a ton of artifacts that they play or you're just you're it's it's there to kill mox diamonds and zero orbs you know what i mean like um, and mm-hmm. it does it very, very well with just one land in play. And so I wouldn't underestimate how good it actually was in, in this build of the deck as well, especially yeah. if you want to try to improve your your odds of, of taking down a, a parfait matchup. Exactly. So going forward and looking at where do we take this deck from here, um, I personally think that this is for the current meta. Good, good. Or what we understood it as. <laughs> is the correct way to go about this. Now, we know meta shift. And we are, I think we are actually starting to see that. So we've talked Dreadnought. Dreadnought is on the ebb right now. I We haven't seen it popping up as much. It's, a lot of times the blue-white is gaining favor. It is because people have learned how to fight that strategy. So it's on the ebb. So the reason I bring that up is I think I love Crash as well. But I think if Dreadnought is on the ebb, I think Overload may be better. Because I mentioned earlier that I lost a couple of games because I crashed and I couldn't quite get to a pivotal double spell turn or something like that. What are your thoughts on if Dreadnought, the threat of Dreadnought has waned, if either crash becomes overload or maybe even crash might be right but meltdown becomes overload what what are your thoughts on that shift within this meta so far i I don't know it's an interesting question i i honestly haven't played enough matches to be able to talk about it as definitively as i might talk about cards in a deck like um you know angry ghoul or hermit not or Mm -hmm. whatever we're calling it these days um i have a habit of playing these decks and then using multiple (laughs) names for them um (laughs) angel mcangel face is still the best angel but anyway um yes indeed but i i i I have not played enough games with the deck to to really give you a good answer right i think that i would really Mm want to sit down and i would want to you know uh ping rich and and say hey let's just jam like you know Mm -hmm. 10 games and the good news is is you know, these games should go relatively quickly. 
compared to other parfait matchups because I think at some point I'm, I'm going to have a pretty good idea if he's got me locked or not. Um, mm -hmm. So I would probably want to do that, and then I would I would make some tweaks and 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 continue to to play it. You know, this version is um, better against you know the Sam Black parfait, right? Because he's not running oath; mm -hmm. it's still a threat. You know, um, there are times when you know. You run a lava mancer into an oath on accident. Um, so oath oath is absolutely still a real card, and Manchester's chosen is great. But um, I'm when I'm, if I'm playing a combo deck, I'm terrified of Sam Black's parfait. Um, but if I'm playing this, <laughs> I'm probably still a little more scared of the the Rich Shea version. Um, so right, I, I don't know. I mean, I I like I said earlier, I really do like Crash's ability to manipulate your land count and. There's, you know, there's something to be said for being able to destroy a Mox Diamond and play, you know, a Jackal Pup in the same turn. Um, exactly. So, me, you know, and I think if, if that's where, where you really want to end up, if you really want to hedge your bet more against Parfait than Dreadnought, the answer might be just to move one of the mountains to the sideboard um, and, mm -hmm. you know, cut another one of the Pyrokinesis or something, right? So, um, right. in matchups where you are going to be sacrificing more of your lands, you know, maybe they're more important. You know, I, I say that realizing that I also told, told you earlier that I boarded out two mountains in all of my land tax matchups and it worked <laughs> out really well. So who knows, right? I, I think that there's a, an inexperience that I have with the deck, um, that should be apparent by now is, as I keep going back to this idea of getting more reps in, because I, I don't think mm -hmm. that I have a, a really good answer to, to your question right now, at least. Yeah. Exactly. And and the only insight I can provide is most of my touching against tax rack decks is against rich, luckily for me, or sometimes unluckily because I just get beaten into the ground. Well, I, I think that's but, good though, right? You know, because then, then oh, you know is. that like you're not winning because the other person's making play mistakes because he's such an incredibly tight player. Uh, oh, exactly. And so Rich's opinion um from what I've gleaned is that at least in regards to the parfait matchup and probably beyond um, is that overload is probably better. And I didn't believe it at first, but the more I got into some of the situations and I would sacrifice land, as I said, you know, it kind of would put me back in a weird way sometimes. And that, that could also just be unlucky, but it did feel like there were at least two or three games where it's just like, if I had the overload, I win because I had that extra land. Uh, because I couldn't um, fire blast twice in a turn or something like that. Like li little things like that that come sure. up. Um, so that's a consideration. That's, that's um, good to know. Um, so that's where he's at. And I think I'm I'm bouncing out. If you if you know Dreadnought's going to be think Crash is right. But outside of that, like it's great against Stasis. It whooped my butt in Stasis. <laughs> we'll say that. Um but I'm wondering if the land is just more important in some cases to have up for either a like a fire blast or if you start to run lava darts, you're going to need more mountains as well. Um, yeah. So those are definitely considerations. Um, one thing I did, I, I think we have to make a concession for flaring pain, at least one copy. I don't think two is right. I COP red seems to be on the wane. I don't know the last time I've actually run into it, even from blue-white decks. <laughs> I lost to it uh, one game in the finals. I didn't get a chance to see that. Okay, yeah. well, maybe I'm wrong. But um, Flaring Pain, can you play that matchup in a way where Flaring Pain is a one-of, or do you think the two is that number where you 
probably need to be to realistically see it when you need it. I mean, you got to draw it, right? Like, yeah. So, I mean, there's even an argument that like if if COP is becomes more more prevalent, you probably need three flaring pain because you'd want to draw at least one, and mm-hmm. and you've got to just you know pick your turns and then go for them uh, when when you can go for them. But um, there there has to be some answer for white enchantments in the deck and anarchy. Mm-hmm. I mean. It, if you could afford to, to run an anarchy, that's just insane, right? Because it takes out every white enchantment that's designed to beat you. But there's no way right. this deck is casting a four mana um, spell, right? It's yeah. just, it, you're, it, it, it shouldn't be happening. Um, maybe the games mm-hmm. will go long enough to where you could do it, right? We talked kind of about that, you know, U-shaped curve where you play a lot up front and then a lot later on in, in, the, in the game. And in those games where you're just dropping lands, dropping lands, dropping lands, you know, maybe there, there actually is a role for anarchy and, and maybe I'm, you know, underestimating its potential. Uh, I went with flaring pain, obviously because of the low CMC um, mm-hmm. and the, because of the flashback piece. So you can do it twice. So even if they do have a COP and you have to kill them over two turns, cause even you don't have enough mana to do it, you could still do it. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it never came up. So I didn't draw it against the, I, I would have won had I drawn it against uh, Dimitri in the game that um, he had the circle protection red, but I didn't draw it. And mm-hmm. so, and he had pressure, he had two silver knights. So, um, oh boy. yeah, so not your traditional, you know, control, he's more mid range. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. so that becomes much, much tougher because I don't have the luxury to wait around to eventually draw a flaring pain or even an anarchy for that matter, if I had had the mana. So I think it's mm-hmm. tough, but there has like, every slide deck has to have some kind of an answer to problematic white enchantments. Now, this deck can't be a silver knight and a worship, and you know, um, I can I can get a curse scroll uh, or a barbarian ring and try to do it that way. Odds are, by the time I get one, they're going to have a second silver knight and they're going to have answers for my curse scrolls. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty grim. Uh, you know, they can't just sit back. But it's pretty grim for me um, if they can drop proed creatures and a worship. But again, a lot of decks don't do that. There's it was even a thread mm-hmm. in the Facebook group today where. You know, someone's running the solution and they cut the silver knight. So there's there are fewer and fewer of, of those knights or you know, Galenas or Silver running around. So the red decks have don't have to worry about that as much as they they may have previously. Um mm-hmm. but it's it's either gotta be flaring pain uh or it's gotta be anarchy. Um and, and there has to be at least two, if not three, because you just have to draw one. So one of my answers to that question, um Anarchy is probably the best answer if not for I'm not even going to say if mana cost. Anarchy is the best answer if it's an instant. The mana cost isn't necessarily the bother to me. It's the sorcery speed of it that bothers me the most. Right? Because I don't ever want to tap four mana yeah. on my turn for that ever. So I think if it's an instant, I'll play it at four mana over flaring pain, even in this deck, I think. I think. Um, because in the matchups where it's going to be good, you're not typically worried about keeping your land count down in many cases. Most, most parfait lists have ejected their, um, cop reds out of their sideboards. Yeah. Um, because they were so confident in the matchup. Yeah. I I think, but, oh, I'm sorry. Continue. I had another point to make, but but, but go ahead and finish your, your, your thought here and then I'll jump in. Oh no, you make your point because I'm going to shift into a completely different card. Okay. So (laughs) I guess the other thing that I didn't say earlier that I should talk about is it's related to this idea of choking your opponent on mana. You don't want your opponent to choke you on mana. And so 
mm-hmm. getting your ball lightning swords to plowshares is awful mm-hmm. in terms of resources, right? Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's a three for one in terms of CMC, right? Mm-hmm. And getting an anarchy like blue blasted is brutal or even counterspelled or mana leaked or whatever, right? So again, this deck has yes. a very low curve. And so even if you do get into those control matchups where you're laying your lands and draw, go, draw, go, it's oftentimes the wrong move uh, for you as the sly player to try to anarchy, right? What you have, you have to wait for the other person to go for it and then, you know, choke them out on mana, win the blast war or whatever, and then try to kill them. You do not want to, to devote four whole mana into a spell that gets countered or disrupted in some way. And even if you, mm-hmm. even if you do find the mana to cast it, cause you just get tempoed out. And yep. this is a deck that was, you know, again, built to not get tempoed out. Uh, and so that's another mm-hmm. reason for the flaring pain over the anarchy. That, and that is a very, very fair point. Um, yeah, no, I think I agree with that. I still, I still don't mind anarchy, but your points are very correct. But where I was jumping into and something I've long discussed and I think is correct is so my current version does not run the ball lightning, does not run two ball lightnings. Cause I think, as you just mentioned, it feels bad yeah. when you get it swords. It also feels bad if you ever see them play a Mog Fanatic or <laughs> yeah. anything. <laughs> it's, it's when it's good. We've said this before. It's great, but I think the number of times where it just sits in your hand or gets dealt with vastly outweigh the times it actually connects because people know it's there, and even sometimes the threat of knowing it's there is good, even if you don't <laughs> have it, because they play around it. Yes. It's my it's the same thing with days. It's like I'll run one days in a deck and they'll see it, and then they have to think about the days the entire game. No joke. No joke. Like I had a player with a meddling mage named Ball Lightning, and it was like the best day ever. I had no ball lightning in it's my like, hand. Yay. I was like, I don't care. Like, and in that moment, I was like, maybe <laughs> I because I actually want to get rid of both of them. And well, we can talk about changes uh-huh. in the deck in a minute, but I was like, maybe I should just keep one. So like they still have to play around it. <laughs> Just, just drop it as you're shuffling. Oh, sorry. What about that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but my solution to the uh, the cop thing and also the oath is something I advocate is, so instead of the, in this version, we can kind of talk about updates, is I cut two balls, one patrol, and I added in a couple lava darts. But instead of that, so I still have the creature count for Reckless Man, I run Mishra's Factory. Uh, interesting. It is because you don't have ball lightning, triple red is not a concern anymore. I'm still running the same nine mountains, so I have not gone down mountain mm-hmm. count. And it lets you do exactly what Jackalpup is doing, is get in there a couple turns early, get in under an oath, um, get in under cop, and still give you the... Reckless abandon fodder that you need. Additionally, it can block a silver knight. So that's my one of my solutions. What do you, what are your opinions, if you have any, on the idea of Misha's factory? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, I think if you think about it more as a creature than a mana source, then it's fine, right? Because mm-hmm. almost everything in the deck is 
you know, a red mana symbol, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's correct. I mean, in, if you're going to keep the incinerates and the vortex and the scroll, then fine, right? You, then you have, mm-hmm. you know, five cards in your deck that Mishra's Factory can cast. Uh, but if you think mm-hmm. about Mishra's Factory more in the same way that we think of Barbarian Ring, like Barbarian Ring is kind of a quote unquote free shock, and maybe Factory is your quote unquote free patrol, right? Mm-hmm. Then, then I think that that that's probably a little bit better. I don't know how mm-hmm. it, you obviously would have more experience since you've, you've added it, but I, I don't know how that plays out in the in the first couple of turns when you keep, you know you have to continually devote the one mana to the factory to be able to continue to activate it. Um, mm-hmm. I know that patrol is a little annoying because you have that next turn where you have to pay the one echo, but I found that that's usually okay because you can you do something with your other red and then you untap on turn three, you know, or turn mm-hmm. two, and you, you know you have a fresh, you know, round of, of red mana to then, you know, swing in reckless abandon lightning bolt, whatever you need to do. And that's usually pretty close to enough. Um, so I don't Mm -hmm. know like how much that additional tax of one per turn, uh, chokes you on mana, um, or or at least kind of narrows your options down because that's, that's that one red that's not going into a lightning bolt or it's not going into running a seal of cleansing or I would say seal of cleansing, seal of fire, uh, seal of fire out or whatever. Um, but I, I, you know, I like the idea. I, I, I think it's definitely worth testing and it sounds like you have some good data to back it up. It's, so it's one of those cards where whenever I get this question about, well, what if X, Y, Z happens? So you got this and it's like, well then, that's where your experience as a player comes in. Like pre-mount is a thing where within the first couple of turns, you typically have a good idea where you're at as far as, you know, matchup, matchup type, etc. So if I'm seeing like just forests or I ever see a land of war elf or something like that, I know I don't have to put the Mishra's factory down right away. Now, could I be the other one source I draw? Sure, but I'm only running um, two of them at the moment so it's not all that likely it always gets there Mm -hmm. so i just prioritize putting the red out there and playing my normal game plan then i'll lay it later maybe even never lay it all a lot of times with mishra's factory in this version it's late in the game we're all dried we're all dried up yep and it's like factory tap itself to make a creature reckless abandon and that's its use. It turns into a better, essentially a better incinerate. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a more, one more damage incinerate. So it, it's, if it was four, like you don't play four of them. I think it's something you can subjectively have in your deck. And as long as you have the experience, you know when it is appropriate to play and use. That's fair. Um, so that's where I'm at with that. And then the only other big change to the deck, and this is kind of what we'll jump into it, is... um. I think the time is right for Price of Progress again because we've seen the explosion of rock decks, mid-rangey decks starting to come back into fashion. Yeah. I think it's time to have Price of Progress again. Uh, and then I have one additional Vortex in the side. And then I have, I have two Kinesis in the side, and I'm debating if those should be either more lava darts or honestly, if they could just be firebolts. It's a good question. Um, so starting with the first card you mentioned price progress, I think you're correct. Um, it is CMC of two. Um, and, yep. and that is more than I want to pay for cards in the stack. Um, 
but there are a lot of mid-range decks um, that are being yes. played. Um, you know, you know, Matelski running, you know, the the rock deck, and and then the, uh -huh. the dead guy deck, and I see all those sweet, sweet non-basics, and I'm like, oh, that's perfect, right? Um, yeah. But uh, I so I've thought a lot about price. So even in the the games that I was playing against Dimitri, I mean, price of progress would have been backbreaking. Um, it, it wasn't necessary. So in, the, in that matchup, perhaps it's not as good. So I think one question that I would have for you is what mid-range decks do you feel like you need the price of progress edge that you aren't already winning? Rock would be one, right? But are there others? Rock, um, I think um, the new more blue-white solution deck that uh, Francisco and um, Dimitri, I think, were playing because that's what I think he based it off of. Mm -hmm. I think that one is right for it because they got a lot of tools to fight you, right? Like, it's not like it's – it wasn't a walk in the park. At least it doesn't seem like it would be. And I I guess I'm always for um, – I've had this argument with uh, Adrian Sullivan and others about stasis, about arguing about whether four vice is correct in stasis. Mm -hmm. And my argument is always, yeah, you can win with stasis with one vice and just play magic, or I can just have an easy button. And why would I not want an easy button? Like if I can run a spell that does six for two, mm -hmm. I'm going to call that an easy button and I'm okay with that. Even if it's not necessary in air quotes, it's not hurtful. Yeah. I mean, I mean, stasis is kind of its own animal too. I actually think four vice in stasis is correct. Um, most of the time when I mm -hmm. see stasis lose, it's because the player does not have an early black vice. They might have an early stasis or two, but because they don't have the mm -hmm. pressure, the games go long enough to where the other player can recover and win. So I think the mm -hmm. black vice is the most, is the more important card in that matchup um, than, yes. than even the stasis, but I don't play a lot of stasis. You do certainly you can comment, but you know, for, for the mid-range strategies, I think Rock is problematic because of the life gain, right? So once they bring mm -hmm. in their spike feeders, if they're running those, I know you love that card, uh, you know, in mm -hmm. addition to their bay loss, and if they're playing, more, you know, if they're running the version that has other beasts, uh, it can get real ugly real fast with the life gain. And yeah, Vortex mm -hmm. is there to do something about it, but Vortex suffers from the same problem that Defense Grid suffers against blue-white control decks. Okay, cool. You played an artifact. I'm playing a white deck. Disenchant, Scylla Cleansing, Abolish, whatever, right? So it's just yep, – yep. Vortex is just so easy to get rid of from, from the green decks that in a lot of ways mm -hmm. I don't even want it against Rock. I would much rather have Price of Progress against them, force them to try to play around it, which might even slow them down, and then just go over the top yes. of their walls with my Fire Blast and my Reckless Abandons and just try to kill them before they can even get into a point where they can loop Balos together. So I, I think I love Price of Progress against the Rock. Um, it's mm -hmm. probably good against Dead Guy as well, especially since they have the mm -hmm. um, Gerard's Verdict that they can gain life with. But other than that, I don't know if there are any other mid-range decks that I can at least think of. And granted, I'm not as plugged in uh, to the format now as, as I have been in the past to where I feel like Price of Progress is really going to give me a, 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 a substantial edge. Well, it's great against natural blue-white control because they have a lot of non-basics there. I mean, you're not necessarily losing that one all the time, but it's a little extra push. Yeah. Um, it gives you, like, say... Say you're against a deck like, um, and these are Outlanders, but uh, Angry Hermit or um, Feb. 
they play almost exclusively non-basics. Oh, they do. <laughs> you can't you can't have a basic in, in Hermit Feb or in uh, yeah. in Hermit. So that is a little piece that can nudge the race in your favor if they stumble. Yeah, against combo decks, I agree 100. percent Right? Like, I I think the edge mm-hmm. against mid range was more my question, but against combo decks, oh sure, yeah, price of progress is just brutal. You know, if you go turn one, two, one creature, turn two, two, one creature, turn three, yeah. price of progress, bolt, fire blast. I, the game is the game is just over. Um, you're, yeah. it, you're just as fast as as they are most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other mid range decks. Um, I mean. Normal Patriot control is good against because they run five million different lands. Um, I mean, maybe maybe I might be wrong about fully in the direct, but the biggest mid-range deck that's a threat to us is the Rock yeah. for the most part. So we do want to prioritize that. Yeah, yeah, and and then the newer versions of it are are, are pretty good. Um, I think that we're even better against newer versions because they don't run mm-hmm. Blastoderm a lot of the time. And so they don't get to like, they also don't want roll of roots yeah, they're, they're, a lot of the time. So yeah, I, I think that, that that tends to work out pretty well. I like this deck because you can attack in and then just send, you know, reckless abandon your creature over the top of the wall. Right. So once the creature has done its yep. thing, you're like, all right, well now you're going to take four to the face. Um, <laughs> but the life gain can be problematic. I think Sly traditionally does have a pretty good rock matchup, but they can, Mm-hmm. They can have draws that can be very difficult to beat, and mm-hmm. uh, pri- I, I, I like price against that mid range deck. I like price a lot against combo, and I think in those in those sort of staring matches that you have against control, a price of progress is absolutely going to do an insane amount of damage, especially since it's instant speed. And once they know that they have to play around even more instant speed damage, especially a card like price, um, they're going to mm-hmm. they're you know going to be even more sort of reticent about. Um, how they play the match, right? You, you're gonna, you're exactly. gonna basically have more time to sculpt your seven card hand. Is all I'm, I'm trying to say. Um, I agree. I, I think you know, going back to the changes that you know you had kind of mentioned to the to the main deck more generally. I think if I were gonna play this again tomorrow, I would I would probably cut both ball lightnings. Um, but I would mm-hmm. I would probably add a third goblin patrol myself. Um, okay. And then I do think I would cut a the sulfuric vortex as well. Um, okay. and so those two spots are kind of the flex slots and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not sure what I would put in there. Yeah. I've, I've thought about lava dart. Uh, I, I don't know how often I'm going to be flashing it back because most of the time when I'm sacking mountains, it's for a fire blast. Um, but the one mana, you know, instant speed removal is nice and having it in the graveyard in case you need it later is nice just for that last tiny bit of chip damage that you, you also had mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And then I also have thought about Firebolt. Again, it's just another shock at that point. It's kind of like a, a seal. It's like even it's a less good seal because you can't run it out earlier and it's sorcery speed, but it's just more mm-hmm. damage and it's more than Lava Dart. You're almost never going to flash it back. You're not going to commit five mana mm-hmm. or whatever it is to, to flash that thing back. Um, right. So I, I don't know if it would be either of those cards. Maybe you convinced me to put two Mistress Factory in, right? And I run two Mistress mm-hmm. Factory instead. Um, but I, I think I cast Vortex in one game where it was actually good. Um, and the rest of the time it was a dead card in my hand, which I didn't want in this deck. Um, mm-hmm. and there were times where I drew incinerate and I wasn't happy about it, 
but I think I would cut um, the ball lightning and the vortex uh, before I mm-hmm. mess with incinerate or curse scroll. So uh, again, those those kind of weird two ofs that you see in this list are your flex spots. But if I'm yep. going to stick with the Goblin Patrol plan, I definitely want three. Um, I don't think I want a full four, um, at least mm-hmm. you know with very little testing. But those would be the initial changes that I would make, um, and mm-hmm. then tinker around with it and kind of go from there is probably what yeah. I would do. In the sideboard, absolutely, um, I would cut um, some number of pyrokinesis. I do think that price of progress needs to be in there. Um, I'm. I had initially, I initially been thinking a fourth crash, but you know, maybe it's an overload, but I, I do want one more instant speed artifact removal card in the sideboard. Um, and I think I would probably keep it, keep it at that. So two or three price of progress, um, one more artifact removal card, and maybe the pyrokinesis just go for now. And we tinker with that. Right. I think all those are fine changes. Um, and to kind of cap it off is I think Sly is not dead. It's tough for Sly, certainly. Maybe tougher than it's still been it's ever. It's tough out there for Sly is, players, y'all. It, it It is very, very <laughs> tough for us. You got to... Got to keep our heads low to the ground, keep grinding, don't stop, can't stop. But it is doable. And I think this list... As much as some people like bobbles, and I'm with you, I love you, Aaron. I cannot get behind bobbles. I can't do it. Um, but this is well on its way to getting there. Um, so thank you for bringing this version to the field for consideration. I've certainly enjoyed playing it. All right. It has been an excellent, excellent conversation on Sly, a subject that I absolutely love. But... What we've all been waiting for, what I've been waiting for, is my three questions. Flint, are you familiar with how this I goes? I sure am. All right. So why don't you go ahead? For those of you who don't know, it is um, a card that is overrated in pre-modern, underrated in pre-modern, and one that needs to be or should be already broken. So Flint, why don't you go ahead and start with your most overrated card in pre-modern? So um, I think that... Uh... As I've alluded to several times in our conversation, it's really all about the meta right now. And so in the past, I think this has been a really good card. Um, it even served me really well in a deck where I won a monthly once. But uh, as much love as there is in the field for it right now, I'm going to say that Meddling Mage is the most overrated card in the current meta. Really? Okay. Uh, so for those who are going to listen through this podcast, there may be some pushback on this because it, it is a powerful card. Why is it overrated right Obviously, now? Obviously, I'm trying to be a little contentious, but um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I think it's overrated right now because it's in a couple of the shells that are good right now in the meta, right? So, you know, Parfait mm-hmm. runs it, you know, Blue White has, has, runs it in the sideboard, at least some of the, the good lists do. And I think you're right. It absolutely does, does powerful things, you know, but a lot of people dig on Enlightened Tutor uh, because it's a card disadvantage, but that's a card that does powerful things. So it's all about you know, where it's seated in the meta right now. And with all of the control right now in the meta, I think that it's actually going to be overrated in the next couple of months as other strategies start to kind of fill in the gaps in the same way that, you know, certain strategies arose uh, to deal with, you know, you know, Parfait or with the Dreadnought decks. I think that Medley Mage mm-hmm. is not going to be as good in the next couple of months. Okay. 
we're calling it now. Here, here's a question. So LobsterCon is yeah. coming up. Um, we gonna see a lot of meddling mages or few meddling mages? No, a lot of meddling mages or few meddling mages at LobsterCon. And do we think winning deck list has meddling mages? I think it'll it? be in the top eight. Um, I don't know if the winning deck will have it though. We'll see. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. So after that spicy meatball, got to keep coming with more spice. Why don't we go ahead and go with the most underrated card in pre-modern? Most underrated, I would say, is Basic Swamp. Basic Swamp. <laughs> That's beautiful. Go, go, get, preach, preach, <laughs> sir, preach. I, and I'll, I'll, of course, add a little bit to that. Um, I, I do think it's been a while since we've seen uh, a good mono black deck do some, do some work. Um, you know, certainly... Uh, you know, in the first couple of years that I played, there were a lot of suicide black decks and then there were, um, you know, zombie decks, you know, it's a personal favorite of, of folks like Robin Lund. Um, and I don't know if, if, you know, zombies is, is good right now, but I do think that, you know, black is, uh, is ready to make a comeback and whether it's, you know, kind of the contamination deck that we saw Michael Arnold run, uh, or if it's the black, white, you know, um, uh, erratic explosion deck that, Mano um, uh, talked about with his guest. I can't remember his name. I'm so sorry. Um, on his most recent podcast. Oh, um, I'm blanking on the name too. Mano, we apologize for that. Um, I just saw somebody post about it too. It wasn't, it's not a mark. I, I listened it? to it um, and I should know his name and I, I feel pretty terrible about it. Um, I'll, it'll, I'll think of it. I'll think Starts of it in a second, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do Absolutely. think that, you know, black decks, um, whether it is a, um, a mono black or whether it is a um you know maybe a two color black deck you know i mean certainly the rock has, has kind of you know had a bit of a resurgence but i do think black as a color has been underrepresented uh as of late and if you look back to a couple of years ago uh, oh, matt harper matt harper is his name by the way sorry matt matt harper uh, there it is but if you look back you know there was a time where duress in cabal therapy kind of ruled the uh, the meta and i do think that Black is a little underrated right now, and um, I, I, I think it's, it's going to make a comeback. You know what? I'm actually inclined to do, agree with you. Black has some of the most potent tools, too, which you just mentioned, Cabal Therapy and um, Duress within its arsenal. It's just that the main things that Black could do to your game finishers I'm talking tendrils. I'm talking um, Yogg's bargain and will and all of that are banned. A lot of Black's most potent finishers, unfortunately, are so potent that they have been banned. There's no necropotence. So the only reason I do think it is underrated, I just don't know how you put it together with the correct finisher, if that makes sense. I don't know what that is. Well, and, and I did have a bit of a caveat, right? I did say that, you know, a black base deck, but it, it doesn't necessarily have yeah, to be yeah. mono black. Black certainly struggles in the long game because it doesn't have a lot of finishers unless you're running, you know, like the, 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 um, the, the rack, right. If you're running, um, yeah, mm -hmm. the, uh, the spud deck or, um, you know, kind of your standard you know, pox shell, whether or not you include pox, right um mm -hmm. bottomless pit etc you know that's a it's a cool deck it hasn't quite gotten there in a lot of the bigger tournaments um but you know I, I do think that there is some some wiggle room right now for black as a color it doesn't have to be the um the sole color it doesn't have to be a mono black deck i'd love to see a mono black deck step in and do well 
but I do think that more blast black based decks could be doing doing some work right now and I'd like to see that I think black's a little underrated right now in, in terms of the the color pie I I I do agree I I really want to find some way to to break like Bos Bosium strip and all the ritual effects <laughs> into into like a uh, drain life or something like that like that that's my dream personally because I would love it but however it gets done whoever does it I think I saw one close um I can't remember the gentleman's name it popped up he did well in an in real one it was um essentially it's black blue but a lot of mono black um lion's eye diamond storm deck that finished with a hunting pack nice <laughs> so um you know there, there's gotta be something there but moving on from black what is the card in pre in your opinion that needs to be broken or should have been broken already i think the easy answer here is show and tell um but uh, you know that's that's kind of the 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 card that I think a lot of people would expect me to say. Um, but the card that mm -hmm. I would really love to see broken in pre-monitored would be Mind Over Matter. I would just love to see someone break that, whether it's like an Arcanist deck, you know, or, you know, the, what, like Patrick Chapin ran a deck a really long time ago where he um, he used, I think it was Mind Over Matter and Cloud of Fairies and a bunch of like untap effects to, to generate a ton of mana with Cradle. Um, and so I've, I've been mm -hmm. trying to think if there's any way that you could build like a mind over matter show and tell cradle deck. It's too cute, but I just love the card mind over matter. I have a lot of fond memories for it. Show and tell is unbanned now. I would love to see a deck that, that makes use of it in some way, you know, where it, it plays some vital role, oh, role. I think that would be really, really cool. Stop preaching to me. I had that deck. I was working on that deck. It was so it was show and it was show and tell and if i can find this i'll show i wish i could show it to you right now i have it in my mind field <laughs> it was it was show and tell and mind over matter yeah. um and all your things to re-up on mana it had things like um the shuffle what's the card that shuffles your it's not feldon's cane it's the blue card that shuffles your library into deck. I think it's a sorcery. Yeah, I know what it is. They run um, it in the Dream Halls decks. Um, yeah, but the what the engine I was using was Lotus Field. Oh, nice. <laughs> it feels real, real, real bad if somebody has a, has wasteland, a wasteland. Or a wasteland. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if left alone, it, it does some powerful things. This deck, this. Uh, this format could use a uh, give me a, what is the new Lotus? Essentially, the new Lotus Field that has hexproof, whatever that new card is. I mean, it, give is me that. Is the new one Lotus Field and the old one Lotus Bloom, or am I like Lotus Veil? Vale. Lotus, Lotus Veil vale is the old one. Lotus Veil. Vale, Lotus, Lotus Veil vale is the one sorry. from Mother Light. And I think Lotus Field yeah, is. Yeah, I, I may. I could be wrong on that, but yeah, Lotus Veil vale is definitely the old one from Weather Light. Yeah, Lotus. You're right. Lotus Field is okay. the new one. I, I was saying that because I also ran the Lotus Field combo deck when nice. I played Modern Prima or uh, Pioneer briefly, but yeah, no, I that that is a card along with I'm going to throw my piece in there. Opposition is another mm, one. Okay, I I know Brian Kowal loves that card. I I love that card. I also loved Glare of Subduel when um it was in Standard from Ravnica. Those sort mm -hmm. of effects are really cool. It just feels like enchantments have to end the game almost when they come in or have to be like one yeah the, the pro, like the problem is just the format's way faster than it used to be so back in 2019 yeah. 2020 you could get away with some slower combo decks 
Um, mm-hmm. you know, so like I ran the blue green, um, Nassif ish, you know, Enchantress deck one month and did pretty well with it, but yep. I just got outraced. Um, I had, you know, the cards I needed to win, uh, against Anthony Harrison, which is on doomsday. And he just, he beat me like a turn or two early every single time, like every single game. So, um, mm-hmm. I've thought about it a lot and, you know, there's, there's some cute stuff you could do with like mana creatures and cloud of fairies and frantic search and collective unconscious and show and tell and mind over matter and all that stuff. Right. But in the end, it just feels, it feels too cute and too clunky, but you know, just mm-hmm. based on my love for mind over matter, I would, I would just, I would love to see it in, in a deck that does reasonably well. That would, that would make me very happy. I I would agree. I think if it does well, it's in some sort of uh, show and tell deck, um, alongside like I would love it if it was alongside um, what's it called, the uh, decree of science. Oh yeah, yeah. That would be. I love that card. That's another <laughs> card I would love. I me too. It's just I love the big clunky ones that just. They just want to do big, stupid things, and the format won't let us, right? I know. Now. I'd love to see that in like a replenish deck or something, but it's just oh it's my probably going to happen. Do, <laughs> do that into like replenish that and then like form of the dragon and or day of okay. dragons. Day of dragons uh, would be another cool and like in that in that blue green kind of like terrible deck idea that I just okay. had, like run a day of the dragons as well as an alternate win condition. Um, <laughs> That's great. That is. These are the okay. things that I think so about that don't actually build. <laughs> so LobsterCon, obviously blue green day of the dragon dot deck incoming. Get ready. Um get ready. He's gonna take it by storm. Um yeah, so that was a wonderful little segment here. And guys, just so you know, I'm gonna sneak it in here. We were trying to be coy. I have no way to end this segment without saying we've inserted this segment um <laughs> into the episode because we forgot to do it. Our, our bad. So our bad. Our bad. So back to our regularly scheduled programming. Thank you to my engineer and my mixer for getting this done for us. Before we kind of head out, um, Flint, do you have any sort of uh, shout outs, announcements, upcoming things? Do we have any? I mean, do we have PSS hype? Do we have <laughs> LobsterCon hype? What do we got? What do we got? Um, so LobsterCon is. Uh, a month away. Um, I'm really excited. I'll be there. Um, if I met you yes last year, come say hi. If I didn't meet you last year, please come say hi. Let's grab a beer together. Let's chat. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing everyone that I saw last year and then all the the new faces as well. It's, gonna, it's just going to be a blast. Um, I'm also, as you know, I'm going to come to the um, Midwestern tournament um, in july um like a mm-hmm. month after that so we'll get to hang out in person which i'm looking forward to and uh Absolutely. come say hi to me there I'd definitely go or try to go um if you're not already planning on going madison i'll just plug it is an awesome city i i did my graduate work in wisconsin i love wisconsin i love the people in wisconsin milwaukee and madison are two of my favorite um, cities in the country they're amazing in the summer um it can be a little rough in those long winters but still amazing uh, and, mm-hmm. um, so it's a great place to visit if you've never been. And just based on the caliber of players that you guys get at those tournaments, I think there's going to be a lot of cool decks and a lot of great magic. So check that out either in person or through the stream. Uh, and then, um, uh, other than that, Mike Hoip and I do have an, an announcement that will be coming up soon regarding the PSS, but I'm not going to say anything more than that. Soon, soon. It's always yeah, soon. soon. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Flint. It's a pleasure. It was a pleasure to play against you finally. Um, it was a pleasure to lose to you, and more so, it was a pleasure to have this discussion about one of my favorite decks. So, guys, thank you to Flint. Thank you to all of you who are listening. Um, you guys amaze me with the comments afterwards, the support, the support you give guests that uh, have come on. I've had a couple of people reach out to me that after episodes, people start asking them some questions, getting them involved. So that's really kind of a cool metric to see. Uh, so with that being said, everybody, Flint, have a wonderful night. Guys out there in uh, you know podcast land, have a great night. And we'll talk to you later. Thank, Take care. Thanks everyone. so much for having me. My pleasure. Take care, guys. Thank you.